I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What matters most? What do we need to change? It's different for everyone. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. Hello, I'm Ali and I'm usually behind the scenes here at Short Black. Today we're mixing things up a bit and we're putting Sandra in the hot seat to have a chat about the Melbourne Cup and all things racing. So hi Sandra, thanks for coming in. <laughs> this is very odd, Ali. I know. What's yeah. the view like from the other side of the desk? I'm a little bit uncomfortable. Okay, so what's your first memory of the Melbourne Cup? Is it something you were brought up with? Yeah, I remember primary school all being herded into classrooms and in those days you had those concertina doors between the classrooms and they would open them all up and we would all be, you know, seated on the floor and the TV would be wheeled in and we'd all be sitting there watching the Melbourne Cup. Loved it. And I, but I didn't quite understand. It was never brought up around horses, so it was all a bit alien, but it was very Australian. Absolutely. Network 10 has had a long history with the Melbourne Cup mm. and you were the first woman to co-host the broadcast and yeah. you did that for seven years. That was, that's amazing. I was so nervous that first year because I didn't know anything about racing. My family weren't into racing and they said, listen, you're not there as a racing expert. You'll be looking after uh, what was um, then called the nursery, the 10 marquee in the nursery and interviewing all the celebrities and then we'll get you to throw and segue in between all the feature races for the Spring Carnival, which technically is the Melbourne Cup Carnival. So Derby Day, Cup Day, Oaks Day and Stakes Day. But I was a nervous wreck. I was just completely, you know, beside myself. And it was, I grew up watching the Cup and I remember how fabulous and elegant all the women were. And I was really self-conscious about, you know, being appropriately attired because Mm -hmm. there were lots of rules and regulations and um, uh, and then delivering, you know, and as a broadcaster and, and I was such a green baby journalist as well, you know, and doing celebrities and it wasn't that that threw me per se, but the whole day was not necessarily locked in. And often in broadcasting, when you have to ad lib and pad, because at times you do, things don't always go according to plan, um, that's when your, you know, your sixth sense, your background knowledge on a, an industry or a scene wherever you are should kick in. And I didn't have that well, <laughs> that wealth of background <laughs> knowledge to just be able to ramble on. So I kept thinking, oh no, you're <laughs> sure you've got the right person. <laughs> so you didn't really have much of an interest in horses before that? None at all. I was quite scared of them, actually. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. Did that inspire you to, to get to know horses a bit better? It really did. I think I had no real appreciation for horses. I was quite scared of them. I didn't understand racing. And, and at the time, you know, it's a jargonistic business. Mm. And unless you understand the sport of racing, and a lot of people see it through the prism of wagering and betting, but, you know, I'm a sports nut. And over that seven years, I grew to really appreciate the sport of racing and I was surrounded by real professionals but those that completely passionate and that was their life was racing and uh, reconnected with some old friends in racing and you know in between each of the feature races on the day I would race up to 
the mounting yard and stand next to Peter Donegan and watch the feature race and watch them cross the finish line and come through in the mounting yard and get checked for correct weight. And I, I really admired and understood and appreciated the tradition, the history and the sport. You know, I also was very conscious that some people question whether horse racing is cruel and for me, I needed to see it for myself and I saw horses respond with great joy and, you know, as soon as they hit the mounting yard and they could see the crowd and they got out onto the track and they would lift and prance and preen mm. and... They know what's going on. They know what's going on, absolutely, and that was a real joy to learn from some of the best in the business. Yeah, it's fascinating because there's so much more to it than just a race. So much more to it. Yeah, and I think one of the most important things we can do through this series and and I think 10 can do is try to break down some of the jargon. For the uninitiated, they'll go along and have a great day. It's a really great social day. It's a chance to dress up and, frankly, a lot of people don't even watch the races. But if you are interested in watching the races, I always say to people, you know, just remember athletics when you're at school, you know, were you a sprinter? Were you a hurdler? Did you hate the 400 metres or were you cross-country? And it's about understanding which races are the dashes and the distance and it all starts to fall into place. As, as opposed to me, who pretty much just looks at the name of the horse and the colour of the jockey's shirt. Well, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. And a lot of people who love racing will still just decide on who they're going to back in the mounting yard. They want to eyeball the horse and just, I mean, <laughs> this is the obvious thing. They can't tell you what's going on, right? So... <laughs> You actually have to deduce it based on what your instincts tell you. Is the horse relaxed? You know, is it is it generally relaxed? Oh, it's got blinkers on. It doesn't normally have blinkers on. It's edgy. It's toey. It's this. It's that. So they watch it in the mounting yard, and often they, you know, that's why they a lot of punters leave it to the last minute before they lay their bets because they don't make their mind up until they see the mounting yard moment before they head out the track. And then it might be, you know, you love a grey. And you watch it and you think it just looks relaxed. And, oh, the jockey's wearing red. Yeah, favourite colour. Okay, that's it. It is what it is. <laughs> You're obviously a lot more comfortable around horses now. Can you ride? Well, funnily enough, I took riding lessons as a consequence of um, working on the spring carnival. And I did that for a little while and then had a bit of a hiccup, a bit of an incident at Centennial Park and was thrown off the horse before Ooh. I was... Um, I was meant to be coming into the really late news. I never told my boss that day that I was actually riding, <laughs> no. having riding lessons. And um, I had this horse, Maddie, and um, I was literally just going for a walk around Centennial Park and we pulled up and I was rubbing her neck and she was just sort of sniffing the, the dirt and a packet, a chip packet was windy and gusty and it flicked onto her nose and I was leaning over her rubbing her neck and she reared up super quickly so quickly that I didn't have time to get out of the way. So the top of her head between her ears just clipped me directly under my nose and threw my head back onto her back. Oh, ouch. Yes, and then I thought, oh. So I got off and there was a little bit of blood in my no you know, coming out of my nose and I was with my instructor and she was just, we were just walking really. You know, see, it wasn't like I was at pace or anything. And uh, she looked at me and she knew, you know, in two hours' time I was racing into 10 to get hair and makeup for, and to read late news. And um, she raced into the kiosk and got ice and put it on my face and I, I walked back to the stables with an ice pack on my face and I was quite worried about being mildly concussed, you know, and should I walk. So I think I, from memory, jumped a cab and got to work but quietly told the makeup team to keep an eye on me. And then I had this lump in the roof of my mouth for about six months. And I, funnily enough, rang my accountant about something else and I told him what happened and he 
He said to me, Sandra, you're not covered by insurance if you get injured on the back of a horse. Your career is over. He said, forget about what injuries you may suffer. You will lose your job. You don't have any coverage. And I went, oh. So I, I had to park my riding lessons, even as much as I really enjoyed it, until I you know, stopped doing this business. Hopefully I'll get back to it one day. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, it was actually. But, you know, mildly <laughs> concussed, reading late news, don't tell anyone. Bosses never knew. <laughs> it's so much easier a decade on. I can tell the story now and laugh, but at the time. <laughs> I heard that you've ridden a horse down the straight at Flemington. Yes. Uh, when I was down there, of course, the clerks of the course and the famous Melbourne Cup winner is a horse called Sub-Zero. And um, there's a really beautiful story about Graham Salisbury who has tended to Subby since he retired. And Peter Donegan, who was our main um, host, along with Tim Webster, on our Melbourne Cup coverage, he was very good friends with Graham Salisbury. And he had found out that I'd started taking some riding lessons. And he said, would you like to ride a Melbourne Cup winner? And I thought, oh, just really just want to saunter. I know, don't pick up pace, you know. <laughs> I actually got to work this week. To cut a long story short, Peter organised for me to meet Graham at the back of Flemington Strait, where Subby was kept. And I sort of walked around on her and then Graham said, we're going to take you across the bottom of the straight. But he said, be really careful. A racehorse is always a racehorse. They know when they're on the track. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so as we approached the base of the Flemington straight, you know, my heart <laughs> quickened and I thought, don't look right, Zubby. Don't, and I'm holding the rein and pulling it to the left thinking, don't look right, Zubby. If you look right, you're just going to dash and I'm going to come off and then I'm out of a job, you know, whatever. Anyway, got across it. So it wasn't down the straight, it was across the straight. (laughs) Far safer. But I have got a picture of me on Subby and and Graham kindly included me in the book on Subby just because um, to watch someone so in love with an animal and tend to him so beautifully, it's just such a lovely story. And it was a real privilege to be on on his back. So what's your favourite part of Spring Carnival? Favourite part of Spring Carnival? Once I get past organising the outfits, you know... (laughs) Hats, shoes, frocks, the rest of it. Um, It's just the buzz of the day, the buzz of the week. It's a really exciting week of racing and everyone's in great spirits. You're really hoping it's going to be smashing weather because Flemington is so gloriously splendid. It is the biggest rose garden in the Southern Hemisphere and and the head gardener at um, Flemington always has a massive task about timing the blooms just right. And that's really tough. But I think every Aussie needs to see Flemington at its best during Melbourne Cup week once in their lifetime because you'll never forget it. It's really special. It looks stunning, doesn't it? It is really stunning. You know, you don't have to love racing. It's just a really iconic week where you can celebrate all things Australia. Now, you mentioned fashion. The Spring Carnival is one of the rare times in the social calendar where abiding by the dress code is a must. Correct. So you would have seen some interesting fashion trends over the years. <laughs> well, m- more bloopers, yes. I don't know, but probably trends. I, I don't think I've tracked it. I'm, I'm just very mindful. Derby Day traditionally is black and white. Cup Day is more flamboyant, colour, a little bit zany. Oaks Day is the day of traditional elegance, Ladies' Day, and then Stakes Day's Family Day, so things are a little bit more relaxed. That's a general guiding principle for the four days of Melbourne Cup Carnival. And look, you know, you can turn up in almost anything you like, but it would be deemed inappropriate if it's too flimsy and fickle. And is there anything you've seen that maybe shouldn't have been worn? Lots of things <laughs> that shouldn't have been worn, but I'm sure plenty of people have thought that about me. I mean, you 
You you make your best decision and go for it, don't you? Strut your stuff, try and stand tall and be proud and think, am I still holding it all together? Mm, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) And your connection with horses is pretty strong, isn't it? I mean, you've even dipped into horse ownership, haven't you? Well, part ownership. Yeah, my husband and I, he kind of taught me into buying a share in a little filly called Mia Nina and um, she didn't end up doing so well, but she's become a broodmare and a mum and we've just become grandparents to a little colt. Uh, We still haven't determined a name, but he's gorgeous. So I'm hoping in a year's time he'll be at the yearling sales and we may have recouped some of our Lost dot. <laughs> oh, well, that's exciting though, isn't it? Seeing it is. the cult from birth and what happens to him. It was the same for me and Nina. You know, she's had really good bloodstock, good breeding, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to breed a champion. And so many things can go wrong. And that's the great fun of it, really, because when they go right, it's so exciting. Mm. And strangely enough, and this is what annoys everyone in my life who loves racing and, and you know, I thought, sort of stumbled into it, was about. When 10 had the Melbourne Cup Carnival, we were invited to the Horse of the Year event, I think it was, at Royal Randwick and 10 were broadcasting and, you know, I didn't think I was co-hosting but I was on the table and had to do some MC work or something. I can't quite remember. It was quite a while ago. But they had asked me beforehand uh, in terms of raising funds for a charity, would I be comfortable with being part of a syndicate? So my first real ownership of horse technically was over 10 or 15 years ago and It was in my name with, I think, six other owners and, again, good breeding. This horse was called Allow and I didn't think anything much of it but the other syndicate owners were all mad racing people so they were keeping us in the loop and whenever Allow raced in Sydney, you know, we would kind of go or I'd try to get there. Clary Connors was the trainer. To cut a long story short, the first time I ever have any interest in a horse and it makes a group one Queensland Oaks in Brisbane, right? So we all say, let's go. (laughs) It's a group one. And um, it was a little grey, kind of an unattractive horse, frankly. But most of the other owners were colleagues from 10. But um, my ownership was really representative of a charity. So whatever money the horse won would go to homeless men. So we thought that was a great idea. And it was a complete long shot. was never going to (laughs) happen. So we all get... I can't remember which track it was in Brisbane now, but anyway, we all get to Brisbane to watch Allow and she comes around the corner just, you know, as she approaches the straight and she just bolts it in and wins a group one. Oh, wow. And we win the Queensland <laughs> Oaks. <laughs> and then we had to go down and, you know, get the sash. And all of my friends just desperately want to win a group one And we won, uh, I think I gave to the charity $24,000 to Men's Homeless, which was fantastic. But it's my first experience as an owner and I won a group one and that just annoys someone like Tim Bowley to death. He can't believe it. You know, he's had part ownership in so many horses and he hasn't got anywhere near it. I'm like, oh, yeah, first go. You know, what can I say? (laughs) So, of course, I I remind them all I'm already a group one winner, (laughs) which is ridiculous. Hi guys, it's Barry Dubois here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast, but if you're looking for something else to listen to, head over to Hammer at Home Next. It's where I interview interesting people from all walks of life. It's a lot of fun and I'd love to have you in our company. See you over at Hammer at Home. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And I mentioned earlier that Turner has a long history with the Melbourne Cup. In fact, actually pioneered the first television broadcast. How did that come about? When I first started, the head of sport was a guy called Mike Audsent. And I really liked Audie and I tried to pick his brain one day as we were prepping for the Melbourne Cup, we'd always be down there a couple of days before doing rehearsals and and trying to, you know, understand the process of the week. And I remember sitting with him one day and I said, look, how did you come up with this whole thing? How long has Ten been doing it? I was sort of talking to him about the history of Ten's coverage and he said, you know, I I actually put it to them that we could cover it as a sports event. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? I had no idea that he actually – loved racing and loved broadcasting. And so he went to a racetrack one day and timed the gaps between the races and how long it took to get, you know, the horses out of the stables and through the mounting yard and onto the track and into the barrier and then out of the barrier, run the race. What are the gaps between, you know, then getting correct weight and talking to the owners and the trainers. And he timed a a race card, you know, for the day and then worked out how you could fill the gaps in between each event, each race and how you could make that a broadcast event. And an Australian television broadcaster, Mike Ward-Sent, head of sport at Channel 10, devised a template, which arguably has been replicated worldwide. So I said to him, what, historically? He said, yes, they'd cut and show you a vision of a race, but it was never a television event. So 10, I was there right at the end, but 10 had the racing rights for 24 years. And it was all thanks to a beautiful... Aussie Scotsman called Mike Ortsent, who passed away not that long ago. And he was a really charming, wonderful man, gave a lot of people like me a start. And I'll be forever grateful. But um, it's a rich history that 10 has with racing. And, and a lot of people don't know how special it is. So it's wonderful that it's back home. That's great. So much thought and everything going into making it the full experience. Well, also what people don't realise as well is because we worked with VRC for so long, as in Network 10, Mike used to work with them in the months leading up to it and try to ascertain how we could flesh out more of the themes and make each day more independent of the other, even though it was all part of Melbourne Cup week. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we approached Oaks Day, the coverage changed to reflect the elegance and refinement of the day. So so the music for the openers and the closers, all of the playoffs were more subtle and elegant and refined and had that really feminine touch. Whereas Derby Day, it was, you know, black and white and direction, fashion and, you know, lots of young designers in all the playoffs and throws. So we fleshed out the theme and gave really not so much exhausted the flavour but tried to showcase the flavour for each event. So that first year I started, Oaks Day was arguably one of the low, lower attendance days. It had about 40,000. And by the end, and that was for me only seven years, I mean, for someone like Peter Donegan who worked on it for most of that, 24 years, I couldn't tell you for how long, Um, and he's an outstanding racing broadcaster. He's just got a wealth of knowledge. Towards the end, there was 110, 120,000 people would turn up for Oaks Day, and it was rivaling Melbourne Cup Day. And it was all thanks to that relationship between the VRC 
and my godsend and understanding that you need to give each day its own individual flavour and personality. And then when you tailor the coverage to that day, it allows it to stand apart from the week and it also helped people choose which was their preferred days. Like some people only go to Derby Day. Some people only go to Oaks Day. But one of the things about that coverage was by elevating the elegance of Oaks Day, the attendance of men was extraordinary because they realised women were absolutely at their most glorious and beautiful. And so there used to be more women than men that came to Oaks Day other than racing enthusiasts. And by the end, oh, the men were lining up at the gates. You know, they just, they were champing at the bit trying to get in because because women really lifted for the day. I mean, they lift for the week, but with Oaks Day, it has this really special edge. It's really beautiful, really beautiful. Is that your favourite day? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I want to say yes. By the time I get to Oaks Day, it's my favourite day. But then when I start, it's Derby Day, so I don't know. The best racing, according to the experts, is Derby Day in terms of Group 1s and quality racing. But I am not an expert. I will be forever learning more and more. I'm always listening to my husband. He knows a lot and he loves it. He put himself through university as a strapper. Um, so he's sort of come full circle. He, he really enjoys it. And I love seeing people who enjoy and appreciate the sport of racing. And that gets lost on a lot of people. They just see everything else and there's so much to it. So what's your favourite Melbourne Cup story? Do you have any anecdotes you'd like to share? Oh, gosh. I can't remember which year it was. Uh, and I should. Uh, Saintly won the Melbourne Cup, um, trained by Bart Cummings. And I was standing next to Peter Donegan when Saintly went over the line and... Minutes later, Tim Bailey was on the track because he, he loves a punt, he loves the horses. And um, he had managed somehow to get a saintly cap with the Melbourne Cup winner. You know, it had been printed and available literally within 20 minutes of the horse coming in and getting correct weight. And I managed, I've still got the cap signed by Bart Cummings and the jockey within half an hour of the horse winning the Melbourne Cup. I don't know what I'm ever going to do with it, but I've still got it. And a picture somewhere. I don't know. So many amazing. You asked me what was my favourite Melbourne Cup memory. Well, for me, being part of a broadcast is being part of a team. And so when you work on a broadcast event for roughly eight or nine hours a day, four days over a week, you really bond with that team. So every Thursday after Oaks Day, we would have a group team dinner and drinks and we'd all get a little bit crazy and have a lot of fun. It was a really great bonding night. And in those days, you know, it was Tim Webster and Peter Donegan. Um, Roy Higgins worked on our coverage. He rode light fingers. Um, in the 1965 Melbourne Cup win, I've still got his silks in my dressing room, which is really special. Johnny Letts did all horseback interviews. Jenny Chapman was the horse racing expert who stood alongside Peter Donegan. They were great mentors, friends, colleagues. That's probably my most special moment of the Cup coverage for all those years was just being part of that team of experts and people who genuinely loved racing and taught me so much. Well, it's an epic undertaking, isn't it? I read an article from a while back that said at that point, it was probably about 10 years or so, I don't know if it's changed, that 10 had a crew of 150, which included like 10 presenters and 25 cameras. Yes, exactly, exactly. And people outside the industry don't understand what what a challenge it is, you know, and to get to the end of the week and be really proud of your work and to work with people you really respect and like, you know, that's a real privilege. And then to work on the cup is just a privilege, you know, it really is. Like I, I couldn't believe, you know, I always feel sometimes that I'm this 
little girl from Brisbane that used to watch from afar and then all of a sudden not only was I part of it, you know, I was on the telly in it and and faking it until I, you know, could kind of work it out. But anyway, I got away with it and, yeah, it was just really, really brilliant time, wonderful special memories. Now, no conversation about the Melbourne Cup would be complete without mention of Michelle Payne. Oh, Were you trackside that day? No, I wasn't. Unfortunately, I wasn't. Um, but I watched it and cried and cried. Just couldn't believe it. Because so many people don't realise how hard it is for women and has been not so much anymore, getting much better. But so many people don't realise what a misogynistic industry it used to be. And for her to do that and then to say what she said, said it all. And I would encourage everyone to go and see the movie, not only because it's a wonderful Australian story, and it really is, and it's done really well. Teresa Palmer plays Michelle, you know, with a lot of courage and conviction. All of those things are great. It's that quintessential Australian story. But what it says about a woman's, a young woman's journey in that industry is extraordinary, really. Yeah, I think it's going to be an eye-opener for a lot of people. Mm, people don't realise how tough it has been for women in certain sectors of of business and in the business of sport, in the business of racing, it was very, very tough. So it was a game changer, her winning that. Absolute game changer for every young jockey in Australia. Extraordinary. No, thank you very much for giving up your time. I know you're extremely busy and about to rush off and do lots of cup-related events. I just hope anyone that's listening enjoys the Spring Carnival and um, try to see racing as a sport and understand it a little bit, get to Melbourne Cup one day, get to Flemington. It's a treat. It's the prettiest track in the world, really is. Thank you. Pleasure. You have been listening to Short Black, a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. To make sure you don't miss any of our great chats, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.